0: Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me today is Dr. Molly Cook. She's a professor of medicine, inaugural director of the Education for Global Health Sciences across five schools at UCSF. Dr. Cook is going to talk with us a bit today about the pelvic examination and some different questions and concerns that many of us in primary care and in fact medicine in general have about some of the potential changes and as she sees them, what are the important things we need to know. So first of all, Dr. Cook, thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's my pleasure to be with
0: you. Well, tell me a little bit about, I I guess maybe to set it up, most of us who are in practice know that there are some changes and recommendations looking at when the pelvic exam should be done, when the PAP should be done, all these sorts of things. Tell me from your perspective, what's going on, the changes, and how you see it? Because clearly you are involved in education at many, many levels, so it'll be helpful to hear of you.
1: Sure. I think it's important as we start out to be clear about what we're talking about when we say the pelvic examination. So what uh, we mean is, and for for, uh, your women listeners, they'll all be familiar with this. There's the first part of the internal examination um, during which the doctor or nurse practitioner uses a speculum to look directly at the cervix and take the pap smear. What has been uh, traditionally done after the speculum is withdrawn, is that the uh, examining clinician puts uh, a figure or two fingers in the vagina and then with the other hand on the patient's abdomen tries to feel the the size and position of the uterus, the size of the fallopian tubes, and the uh, location and size of the uh, ovaries. And that piece of the exam takes a bit of time. Uh, I think f- for a lot of women it's actually not the most unpleasant part of the exam. I think most of us um, would love to skip the speculum part of the exam, but that is critical. That's how your doctor is uh, getting the specimen to do the pap smear. And what are the recommendation of the American College of Physicians is not about is uh the, the pap smear pap smears are very important the question that the clinical guidelines committee asked is what does that second half of the uh, overall exam uh, contribute to detecting disease uh, earlier and uh, helping women be healthier and the answer in asymptomatic women is nothing
0: basically So, obviously, the next question is, well, then, if it doesn't contribute anything, why is it being done?
1: Well, there are a lot of things that we were taught to do in uh, medical school at a time when uh, we didn't really question so rigorously, you know, what do we learn by doing this maneuver or that element of an exam? And, And I was certainly taught that, this part of the gynecologic exam, uh, the, the bimanual part, is just part of what we do. Uh, but I think both the science of clinical medicine has evolved. I graduated from medical school in 1977, so, so that was um, some time ago. And as I said, we weren't that critical about you know, what did we just learn by doing this piece of the exam, and the other thing um, that's happened is is everyone has gotten busier, not just uh, physicians, but also their patients. And we want to make sure that we use the time that uh, women are together with their clinician um, in a maximally effective way. And if a piece of a, an examination that takes, I don't know, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes is not contributing benefit, then there are certainly other things that uh, we could be talking about that offer the prospect of uh, helping women more.
0: A couple questions. One of the things often we are trained to do, and we do, is you check for cervical tenderness, for instance. You you would push against the cervix and see if it's more tender, and certainly in certain conditions, it does appear to be more tender than other conditions where people say it doesn't bother them. It certainly never is something that's comfortable, but there is times when it's far more painful. So is there value to that?
1: So this creates an opportunity for me to make what I think is the second really essential point here Uh, in addition to what I already said about the pap smear, and that is the recommendation to skip the bimanual exam uh, pertains only to asymptomatic women. So these are women who are coming in for their, uh, whether it's an annual exam or uh, every three-year exam, and they feel fine, they don't complain if pain on intercourse, they don't have uh, an unusual discharge, they feel just completely fine. And in uh, those women, and and the recommendations of the American College of Physicians came from reviews of studies that involved thousands of women. In, In asymptomatic people, you just don't find things doing the bimanual element of the exam. On the other hand, if somebody who says, I have fever, I have lower abdominal pain, I have a funny discharge, I have uh, pain on intercourse, uh, any of those symptoms uh, would be a reason to, to do that second half of the exam. The honest truth is that probably for specifically the kind of condition that you're talking about, uh, or cervical motion tenderness, as it's called, is a sign of uh, an infection in the gyn tract, pelvic inflammatory disease. Probably that woman would would also have been uncomfortable uh, doing the during the, the speculum part of the exam. Mm-hmm.
0: Very true. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and I'm speaking with Dr. Molly Cook. She's a physician, fellow of the American College of Physicians, professor of medicine, and again, the inaugural director of education for global health sciences across the five schools at UCSF. And when we're talking about this, we're talking about a lot of changes that seem to be occurring across the board in just between the PAP and now, you know, the gynecologic pelvic exam. Where does ACOG stand on this? You mentioned the American College of Physicians. Have they changed the recommendation as well?
1: ACOG really doesn't disagree with the American College of Physicians uh, in terms of saying their studies do not provide evidence that this element of the exam is beneficial. So, so we, we read the research studies uh, the same way. Uh, as you might imagine, uh, I do in a day where I'm seeing patients as a general internist, uh, I might do one gynecologic exam, or depending on the patients I'm seeing, I might not do any. A gynecologist in the same day of seeing patients will Uh, do a gynecologic exam on every single patient because that's what uh, those patients are there for. And so the habit of doing both halves of the uh, exam is much more ingrained. The issue of the Annals of Internal Medicine in which uh, the American College of Physicians guideline was published had an accompanying editorial uh, written by actually two colleagues of mine at UCSF, uh, both gynecologists, and they didn't question the recommendation at all.
0: Okay, so they were actually very comfortable, again, from yeah. the practical standpoint. And and I think it, I think it's w- very important to remember once again to make the point that if it is someone who is at risk or you have some concern, there's nothing wrong with this exam. You're just saying as part of a, a typical examination, there's just so many different things you could be discussing and doing that particular amount of time could be used better in another way that may be more beneficial for the patient. I mean, that's the sense I'm getting. That's
1: exactly my point. That's exactly my point because I think as opposed to some things that we do in medicine that that really pose a risk to patients, the this bimanual examination, the second half of the GYN exam, it doesn't pose any risks uh in particular uh at least in the short term and I'll come back to that point in a second I already said that um I think for most women and I'll I'll include myself in this group the the speculum exam is the more unpleasant half of the exam uh but we have such a long list of things that we want to cover and uh, that our patients want to talk with us about uh we need to pay close attention to uh, using the time that we have face-to-face with our patients in a way that's maximally useful. Now, I'll add one more thing about the risk. The bimanual exam doesn't uh, pose a risk of making holes in things that shouldn't have holes in them and that kind of thing. But uh, because it is not a very uh, precise exam, it is Uh, easy to think that uh, as the examiner that you have felt something uh, that's out of the ordinary and once that happens uh, then the uh, examiner is really somewhat obliged to pursue this finding that again in these big studies they turn out be nothing. So not only does the exam do a very poor job in detecting things we would like to detect, um, it uh, can fool the doctor uh, and her patient into thinking there's something there that's concerning when uh, after some amount of evaluation, it may just be an ultrasound, but, but people have had unnecessary surgeries because of something that the doctor thought she felt.
0: And I know in many cases, at least for me, um, and as a family doc, much like you maybe two pelvic exams or so in an exam day or whatever we will do, you always seem to have trouble, at least I've always have from the time I practice and most people I talk to, you're palpating the ovaries. Can you palpate the ovaries? Can you not? Are you able to feel them based on the, the, the size of the patient, positioning, all these sorts of things? That's often a very tough one, I know.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and again, that's where some of the time comes in, and then this downstream uh, issue of, you know, was that really normal, or did I think I I felt something, and there's a fair amount of bowel, and there's uh, bladder, and it's just, uh, you're really trying to get your inside finger and your outside hand really close together uh, so that you can size what you're you're feeling, and uh, as you point out, uh, uh, not only. Um, is that difficult in people who are on the large side? But it can be difficult in people who are very fit and just have a lot of um, abdominal muscle tone.
0: Right, exactly. I wanted to ask you another big question, which I think is very important. I know that, you know, know it was probably a decade ago now, but uh, people started talking about evidence-based medicine, and it kind of creeped in, and there were those who initially were talking about it and saying it was important. Well, I think it's gotten to the point almost like email has creeped into our lives. sick. evidence-based medicine is it's where it's at and where it's, it's essential to look at the evidence in just about everything we do, whether it's an order set in an EMR or whether it's just the way we treat people. Are you finding in your role that evidence is playing a greater and greater role in what you do, in the recommendations you see, and in the way we're treating our patients?
1: Oh, absolutely, and I think this is this is uh, an example of that. We all assumed that this uh, sort of ritual piece of the exam was contributing some benefit, but when you look at it uh, carefully, it's not and I'll make one last point here. Uh, I don't see this, at least in my own practice, as saying it's unilaterally, uh, you know, I'm not going to do this. It's not worth my time. This is another opportunity uh, to explain things to patients, and my experience has been, uh, and, and probably the the best uh, the example that I've had the most uh, experience with in the GYN department since it's an older change is letting people know that they don't have to have a pap smear every month during their uh, birthday, assuming they don't have a history of abnormal pap smears, and it's perfectly safe and works just as well to do a uh, pap test every Three years. Now, if a patient said to me, you know, I, for reasons of my own, I want to have a pap smear every year, um, I would not go to the mat about that. But that's not my experience. People say, well, you know, if it doesn't help you understand better uh, how to help me with my health, let's skip it and do something else.
0: Well, Dr. Molly Cook, I want to thank you for taking the time for joining us on Primary Care Today, sharing your thoughts and insights.
1: It was my pleasure Anytime.
0: Uh, this is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash Today to download the podcast and learn more about the series. Thanks again for listening.